Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian Gottlieb, and we are doing our third live episode in a row. Uh, this this is another one of those shows where the timing seems rather important. I think people want this information as soon as possible, and we are going to talk about some Throne of Eldraine previews that happened today. Preview season the best time of the magic year of course so excited to have these new cards to look at some really cool stuff coming down the pipeline and like you said i think it's just critical you get this stuff out there immediately so people know what's going on they can weigh in they can start thinking about deck lists already it's it's a little premature but we all do it right as soon as you see a card you start brewing like oh i can play this this and this with it and then you realize it's all invalidated when you see some other card that completely supplants what you were doing previously but we just can't help ourselves. We're definitely all going to go through it, and uh, we'll do it together as we preview some sweet Eldraine cards on this week. Yeah, episode. I mean, so, so it goes, right? We we got a lot of preview cards today. There's also the Brawl thing happening on Arena right now, so if y'all want to play some Brawl with some new cards, you can do that, and then that will actually reward you some Throne cards also. And then at some point, they're going to be doing standard events, with like, you know, the four sets that are rotating out. So it's like this preview to next year's standard where you get to play some Eldraine cards, whichever ones you have on Arena that have been released, but you can't craft them or anything. So kind of a weird few things going on, but it's cool. I like it. Yeah, I I played two games of Brawl today. Wanted to get those sweet new Eldraine cards into my hands. And I wanted to see like some interface things, like how the adventures worked and things like that work basically exactly how you would expect them to. Everything was very smooth. And I enjoyed one and a half of my games of Brawl, I will say. (laughs) One was not particularly pleasant. Just felt like mana staying when my opponent... I was the Esper deck, my opponent was the Bant deck, and my opponent had all the mana in the world, and I like missed a land drop. And the game just felt completely over. But that's fine. That's part of Magic. And the other game I played was actually really interesting. I had a meaningful... Parhelion, the fourth, is that what it's called? The giant flying crew vehicle that makes angels. Yeah. I got to take over a game with that. I started to understand how these commando players like get into this because activating that card felt pretty good. And it's been a minute since I've done that in war draft. So I, I get the appeal of getting to use all these sweet giant battle cruiser cards in a constructed format. Yeah, because normal constructed is like there's just something that is going to be the best seven or eight drop, right? Like right. there's no reason to play parhelion when you can play nexus of fate and you know that's kind of been your jam so i get it you you want to you want to go big and brawl lets you do that i think it'll be fun when it actually gets released yeah i mean i just love more ways to play magic i'm never going to be sad that you're offering me another option so uh yeah brawl seems like a natural fit for the arena platform and i'm pretty excited for it all right there's also the trailer that's out and then Mm -hmm. watsy did some live stream stuff that is on their youtube so people want to go see that stuff definitely check it out but i think we should probably just get into talking about cards yeah a quick just a quick word on the trailer my wife loved it she doesn't care about anything that goes on with magic whatsoever she was enthralled found it really interesting and like that's what your trailer should do it should attract people who have really no interest in the set whatsoever you and i are going to buy the set no matter what you don't need us you need those outside eyes and uh this seemed like a slam dunk so kudos to whoever worked on that trailer it's the best magic trailer of all time says dt lurch there's only like two really right it's like war of the spark and this one but yes this was better than war of the spark all right cards where are we starting 
Well, I believe we're heading right over to Scryfall. And if you just want to start at the top of the page, I have a little surprise cooked up for our live viewers. Be able to pop these cards in. Whatever you want to talk about. You say the word. I'll make the card appear on our screen. Obviously, though, let's not forget about our podcast listeners. Still got to read the card. Make it very clear to folks who might be driving along listening. The first card is now going to show up. And it's Bacon to a Pie. Jerry, tell us about Bacon to a Pie. 2BB instant destroy target creature, create a food token. Food token is an artifact with two tap, sacrifice this artifact, you gain three life. And it's not just a little bit of life gain. I mean, it is an artifact that lives on the battlefield and food tokens do a few other things in this set. So four mana kill a creature, get a little bit of value is fine for limited. Obviously pretty easy slam dunk as far as flavor is concerned, but... I hope I don't have to end up cast this card in, in Constructed. Seems pretty doubtful. Obviously, we have no idea what food is going to be up to. If there's a world where you just want to maximize as much food as possible, maybe you do default to a removal spell like this. Yeah, but still, still, I mean, you're you're trying to make as much food as possible. You're not going to go with like a four mana four card mana on rate. Right. Yeah. yeah, probably a limited spell. That's fine. Here we go. Next card. Slain Fire. Actually, a constructed card. Uh, two red instant. This deals three damage to any target and adamant. If at least three red mana was spent to cast the spell, it deals four damage instead. This spell's good. If you weren't around for Flame Javelin, if you can get a four damage burn spell out of your three red mana, you're doing very, very well. This is a very high damage potential card. Like you said, 100% this is going into standard and seeing some play. Yeah, I'm assuming there's some mono red deck or like red with a splash off of eight dual lands or something. I, I think this is a, a pretty reasonable card to have access to. And certainly if there's anything remotely important that has four toughness, I think people will try and lean on this card. Yeah, what do you think about the adamant mechanic in general? It feels a little familiar. I feel like we've done stuff like this before, but I do like how it leads to some flexibility in deck construction. yeah. It gives you more choices, which is always good. So it's weird in that I doubt that there is going to be a card that you would play in Constructed where you're not trying to get the kind of kicker from Adamant, you know? Like three mm -hmm. mana, three damage is not something that you would play normally. Obviously, that's a fine rate for Limited, but this card for Constructed purposes might as well just cost RRR, right? And at that point, you kind of know what you're getting into, and you're just like, all right, I'm, I'm signing up to do this because I think it is worth it. Uh, I, I mean, I guess there are other situations where you could be tempted to play some colorless lands, colorless lands in your yeah. in your mono-red deck, and then you have this thing that is not great on rate. But yeah, for, for the most part, this is just a fancy way of saying that this card costs RRR. Yeah, it would have been interesting back with like deserts when they were in play and people were incentivized to play the colorless desert for, to squeeze out a little mana. Would have been a little tension there, but I agree with you. Most of these inclusions are going to be just hard committed to this color for sure. I, I think I like this a little bit more than, you know, like Vampire Nocturnus being like one BBB. It's just like that it is so prohibitive, whereas at least these you do get the option, which is cool. But uh, again, I doubt that the non-adamant version is going to blow you away or anything. Yep. All right, next card. Another adamant card. It's Silver Flame Ritual. Three dub sorcery. Put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. Adamant, if at least three white mana was spent to cast the spell, creatures you control gain vigilance until end of turn. So uh, this is an adamant spell where you don't have to pay the full amount to actually get it kicked, basically. So you can have 
a second color of mana or a colorless mana or something lying around. That said, this is still very weak, and this just seems like, you know, bonus type of thing for limited, where it, it basically doesn't have to have the adamant, right? But Yeah, I, I agree. Limited card. Umpax is asking, is adamant always three? I believe the answer to that is yes. 100% of the time, it will ask you for three of a specific mana. Yeah, from the cards that I've seen, that's what it looks like. But... Yeah. All right, next card. Emberith Paladin. This one... Very interesting for a special reason. We'll get to that in a moment. Jerry, why don't you go ahead and hit the folks up with this? I'm wondering what the, the special reason is. 3R41 Human Knight Haste Adamant. If at least three red mana was spent to cast a spell, this enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it. So four mana, five, two, haste. Yay. Yeah, nobody cares about that. What's interesting about it is that this card appears to be me. And oh. I- I, sh- I showed it to my wife to confirm that. And she's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's you. And chat is basically on board with that right now. They seem to agree. This does look like me. So if you haven't seen Embereth Paladin, go take a look. Let me know what you think. I don't know, man. What do you think? What's your gripe? I don't know. I, I feel like I am thinking of a person who this more closely resembles that is not you, but I can't think of who that person is. I think you can make a case for Brad, which is funny because Brad and I don't really look alike, but nah. maybe this card looks like any human with a beard. Yeah, that might I mean, be the possibility. Th- this is this is white dude. That's yeah. exactly who this person is. Boring white guy with a beard. I, I checked those boxes for sure. All right, let's go to our next card. Nothing nothing to play with here, just to look at. God, I, I zoomed in so hard on that card. I was so excited. And I just <laughs> I got nothing out of the deal. Nothing. You not think so? I don't know. Chat's all about it right now. They, they buy into it. All right, it's time for our first adventure card. It's Beanstalk Giant. All right, how should I do? Should I read the creature first or the adventure part first? I don't know, man. You you do what you got to do. These are weird, weird cards. I like it, but it's weird. Adventure first. Let's okay. go on an adventure. Okay. Fertile Footsteps, 2G, Sorcery Adventure. So this is part of the card that lives in the bottom left corner. And search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. The larger part of the card is 6G, Giant, Star Star. Power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. So I guess we should just clarify the mechanic in case there's a chance someone hasn't seen it. You can either just cast it as a creature. You're always allowed to do that. The other option is you cast it as an adventure, the sorcery side, the fertile footstep side. If that resolves, it goes into exile, and then you later have the option to cast it as a creature whenever you want. Mm. I did not know that part, actually. Okay. Yeah, that is how it works. Uh, I think this is pretty interesting. Like that, three that's pretty, mana. That's pretty tight. Yeah, th- three mana ramp is entirely playable for the most part at this point. You would need to want this payoff later in the game. As it stands now, ramp decks basically don't but we don't know what the face of ramp will look like in the future maybe it'll be more mid-rangey and you just want a threat if you think back to like standard jund in the era of like rakdos's return that type of deck would have been pretty happy with a ramp spell that eventually became a large creature so i could see this seeing some small amounts of play as it stands now the ramp decks are just like so huge and go past this type of stuff in such a dramatic way. It's just like, oh, I made 48 zombies. They don't really care about making one beanstalk giant, uh, but you never know where things are going to go. And I, I like this concept a lot. I think it's a really cool 
mechanic. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to play with. The busyness of the card, I'm not a huge fan of, but like, I think you just have to pay that cost in a lot of spots to be able to do fun things like this. Like look at double-faced cards and stuff like that. I mean, Planeswalkers are very busy cards. So if you're going to do cool mechanics, you're going to get some clutter, I think. And it's just a price to pay. So I I noted that I did not know that that was part of the mechanic. And now I'm actually reading the reminder text, which very clearly tells me. So It does say that. That'll that'll learn me. I don't know if if the first one I saw like did not have that reminder text or what, but yeah, that's certainly possible. If it was one of like the promo versions, I'm not positive they have the reminder text, but yeah, who knows? Yeah. What about so, what about Pack Rat? Let's get to the next one. You ready for the next one? You don't have any thoughts on this in constructed? You don't want to play this one? Uh, I mean, people play Grow from the Ashes for a little bit, right? Let's let we can stay on the Beanstalk Giant, I suppose. No, it's gone now. It's never coming back. Okay. It's yeah, it's dead. It, it has been slain. And like you said, ramp decks basically are not going to care about like a seven mana seven seven or even seven mana ten ten or whatever. If there is some sort of very grindy matchup that is actually trading resources one for one, it's like cool. You have this in exile. You can cast it if you like, but I doubt that this is ever going to be your game plan. You know. Yep, right there with you. Okay, pack rat, piper of the swarm, one B one three human warlock. Rats you control have menace. One B tap, create a one one black rat creature token, and two BB tap, sacrifice three rats, gain control of target creature. I think this is a little bit more fun than pack rat. Yeah, well, low bar, first of all. Yes, absolutely. That second clause is a very big effect, like permanently gaining control of a creature at the cost of th- just three rats. Very nice. Uh, I think there needed to be other rats for this to be a reasonable constructed card. Yo, you a burglar rat? I think there needed to be other rats for this to be a reasonable constructed card. And uh, they mostly are not going to exist on its own. This is not enough. You need to get more from your mana and constructed magic these days. Years ago, this is probably like a slam dunk in every single conceivable deck and the entire format revolves around it. But things are different these days. I don't think Piper of the Swarm is going to get there. No, this this is pretty busted and limited, obviously. Uh, but yeah, constructed likely not there unless there is just stuff that generates a bunch of rats and having your one three survive and gain control of a of target creature is like actually really important. But that's not really what constructed magic has been about the last few years. It's mostly just like you know playing things like Nissa's and wilderness reclamations and going over the top of people and it's it very rarely comes down to like the beanstalk giant thing right we're like this one big fatty the last thing standing actually wins yeah that feels like odyssey era magic and that's just not how we do things anymore yep next card i don't i don't even know how to say this card heraldic banner heraldic yeah how would you pronounce this i i think it's heraldic and i think that people will say geraldic for me nice i like it because people call me Gerald, even though that is not my legal name. Right. Do it all the time. Three mana artifact. As this enters the battlefield, choose a color. Creatures you control of the chosen color get plus one, plus oh. Tap, add one mana of the chosen color. So, very medium. Very medium. We have Icon of Ancestry, which will probably supplant this in most instances. So, not a whole lot to talk about there. I'm ready to go to the next card. Yeah, it kind of supports tribal stuff in limited. That's about it. Mm-hmm. Here's a card that's not medium. Garrick, Cursed Huntsman. Tell us about this one. 4BG, Legendary Planeswalker Garrick, 5 starting loyalty. 
zero, create two, two, two black and green wolf creature tokens with when this creature dies, put a loyalty counter on each Garrick you control. Minus three, destroy target creature, draw a card. And minus six, you get an emblem with creatures you control, get plus three, plus three, and have trample. Are we going to do it again, Jerry? Are we going to get excited about a black-ish planeswalker that costs six mana that seems dominant on a battlefield for sure, but then everything just blows so far past it that it doesn't even matter? It's uh, entirely possible. A la Liliana, which is, you know, I think on power level comparable to a card like Garrick. Garrick may be a tiny, tiny bit stronger, or maybe it's just situational, but I have the sense that along with those changes in magic that we talked about that invalidated Piper of the Swarm, some of that's going on with these giant planeswalkers as well. And for a long time, this was the best possible thing you could be doing in standard. Now it's engines. It's all about setting up your engines and investing in your engine. And you're not trying to get to a six drop. You're trying to find your three pieces to put together, your Risen Reef, your Omnath, and your other elemental, or your Kethys and whatever card. It doesn't matter. Kethys is insanely busted. But I, I think that's what we're doing now. Now, that could always change at a moment's notice. But it really, really feels like magic is headed more in that direction. The more assemble my pieces together, more kind of commandery in a lot of ways, then just here's my big thing. And I hope you can beat it. Yeah, I agree with that. I feel like this at kind of the top end of the original Golgari decks where they normally had like Vraska or Carnage Tyrant, like this would have been really good. Also, sure. uh, Liliana Dreadhorde General would have been very good in that spot. Instead, these cards just end up being weaker than something like Command the Dreadhorde, even Ugin, and... For as strong as Garrick looks, it also just seems like Liliana is stronger and like doing somewhat similar things. Yeah, I wanted to share a little story. I was playing on ladder the other day and I paired up against someone. I am assuming they just like hadn't been playing for a while. And basically they had Golgari from six months ago as their deck. And to see how far the standard format has come since that was a viable means of playing magic. Like they did all the typical green black stuff. They had their Jade light Rangers and their wild growth walkers were getting larger and they had fine finality to start grinding. None of it mattered whatsoever. It was all laughably underpowered. And that's the kind of paradigm that Garrick was slotting into previously. It's what Liliana was doing previously, which is why you and I both had that as our number one war with a spark card. Painful to look back on that. But uh, hey, yeah, I, I, she saw she saw a little bit of play. Oh, a very, very little bit. Neither one of us had Teferi, I'm pretty sure. So <laughs> we don't get any passes for War of the Spark season. But regardless, we have now recognized that mistake. I'm lower on Garrick than I've seen a lot of other people be at this point. Fool me once, all those other words that come after that. I'm done with Garrick. Yeah, I, I, I do think it's a good card. It's a strong card in a vacuum, but context matters. And a lot of the stuff that has been the important stuff in standard has been from recent sets, right? Like there, there are just things like, you know, Golos into field of the dead, right? We don't have scape shift, but my favorite version of that deck. And the, the one that I think is the strongest doesn't even play scape shifts. Same. Like basically all of those cards are sticking around, you know? Yep. Yeah. That deck frightens me for rotation. Cause it's, I've been playing it a lot on ladder. I think it's very good. 
It's yeah. not a lot of fun though. You, it, it's so much larger than everything else that it invalidates a lot of space. So we'll have yep. to see how that plays out as we add these new cards. Yeah, I, I watched you stream, you know, sometime whenever the last time you streamed was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I had Golos riding with me, riding dirty. It went well, as it always does when Golos is in the mix. Yeah, I oh I I got my uh, Golos premium thing on Arena today. Nice. That's that's a I, high I, quality premium. Dude, I logged into the store and they had it. I was looking for it for so long and I couldn't get it. Good stuff. All right, let's move on to our next card here. And we are looking at Fireborn Knight. I see four hybrid in the mana cost. This is HHHH for either a red or a white mana. I get excited Mm -hmm. and then I'm severely let down by this card. (laughs) Not what you thought it would be, huh? Human Knight 2-3, double strike. And then you can pay HHHH to give this thing plus one, plus one until end of turn. What the hell, man? It's a lot of investment. What I will say is that we are returning to Theros. Theros had devotion. Maybe we're doing that again. Maybe this is setting up for that. I have no idea. On the whole, this is not a constructed playable card. Although knights in general, looking to pick up a lot of tools, probably still not using this card under any circumstances. I hope not. Uh, but yeah, I mean, even Adamant kind of plays into the, the whole Theros thing. So Right. We'll see. All right. Done with this card. Let's move on to Order of Midnight. Speaking of knights. Oh, yeah. For whatever reason, I just automatically assumed that this would be a fairy. Uh, 1B. Oh, I guess. No, I'm sorry. I'll start with the adventure. Okay. Okay. 1B, sorcery adventure. Return target creature from your graveyard to your hand. And then the creature part is also 1B, 2-2, human knight, flying, this can't block. This is okay. I mean, it has to fit into a a set of tribal synergies, but I could see this potentially filling out a curve. 2-2, flying, can't block is constructed playable. It's not exactly where you want to be, but if you care a lot about knights, getting to turn this into your lord in the late game or whatever your best threat is makes a lot of sense and still pressuring early. There is a world where this could actually be a constructed card. Probably going to see a lot more limited play, but I, I like this design a lot. This is a really cool print for a grizzly bear. Yeah, no, I, I like this a lot too. Just the the text on the card struck me as like more of a fairy thing, but uh, yeah, this this for knights actually seems pretty reasonable in small numbers at least. All right, I think we have some more knights coming up next. We are going to look at Foul Meyer Knight. Yeah, it's actually just knight stuff all the way down. The next six cards are all knight cards. Love it. Uh, Profane Insight is the adventure side of this. 2B, instant adventure. You draw a card and you lose one life, so you get to cycle this for three mana. And it is B for a 1-1 zombie knight with death touch. Uh, So either one mana, 1-1 death touch, or you can pay 2BB, have it be like a striped bear, effectively. Yeah, I kind of like this card. One mana, 1-1 death touch occasionally has its place if you can add some upside to it. And this is significant upside, quite frankly. I'm into it. You need the format to be about certain things. I I don't want to keep repeating that. But as it stands right now, the format is so much bigger than anything Foulmire Knight would ever do that you can't even consider it. But if things get a little bit more fair and come back to creatures attacking actually mattering... This card seems not reasonable. happening. <laughs> not, not happening. happening. Huh? Okay, I should just give up on that dream. Just cancel it right now. Yeah, I mean, if if you want a one drop in your night deck, this is passable. The vampire deck sometimes plays like the B Death Touch Life Linker, 
and this is maybe slightly stronger than that. So yeah, when John Dinosaurs was the deck, vampires picked up that card in pretty large numbers and did well with it. Yeah. So that's the type of world you're looking at where Falmire Knight matters. Again, not completely sure we're returning to that world anytime soon. Next. Our next card, Smitten Swordmaster. Another adventure, another knight. Curry Favor is the sorcery adventure part. It costs B. You gain X life and each opponent loses X life where X is the number of knights you control. And the creature side is 1B for a 2-1 human knight with lifelink. This is one of the things where I sort of wish it was in the other way around, right? It was like you play the creature and then you get to play the spell later. Right. But yeah, I mean, this this is effectively kicker, right? Because you can just pay the extra black mana to curry favor before you actually cast this thing. I mean, ev- everything is kicker or whatever, but... Uh, this this seems like a fine way for knights to actually have uh, some reach. Yeah, I, I think this is a respectable constructed card if knights are good. Uh, I need to know a little bit more about what knights do, what they're about. Like, obviously, we know vampires' identity is like based around lifelink, and really, it's just based around Soren. But show me the knight Soren, and then I can start buying into these cards one hundred percent. We could just skip to it. We'll get there. Okay. Not skipping to anything. I don't. You you demanded that it be shown to you, man. I I offered to help. I'm sorry. Next card, Sir Conrad the Grim. Three BB five four legendary creature human knight. Uh, also noteworthy that this is uncommon, which may be why it's so bad. Whenever another creature dies, or a creature card is put into a graveyard from anywhere other than the battlefield, or a creature card leaves your graveyard, this deals one damage to each opponent. One B. Each player puts the top card of their library into their graveyard. I had to read this card so many times <laughs> before I understood what it did. I am happy that Arena will be keeping track of this for me. And Limited, if this is playing constructed, things have gone wrong and it's just killing you instantly. Right. Uh, that could happen, by the way. I think all these abilities together reminds me of a world where you're just moving things through zone and your opponents end up dead. Hopefully there is not an oversight that enables that style of play because I don't want to live in a world where we're Sir Conrading the Grim people out of the game. Yeah, I, I try to do a similar thing with Cavalier of Flame where it's like, how do I fill my graveyard and how do I get this into play? And that one you had to sacrifice. This one just has to live, you know? So it's possible you could be playing some turbo self-mill deck with some of the reanimate stuff that exists. But I don't know. Then Then basically the rest of your deck has to be full of creatures anyway. So I don't know. Right. Yeah, we want this card to be bad. That's in all of our best interests. I'll say that. Next card, Embereth Shieldbreaker. And if you haven't seen this card, I want you to go look at it. I cannot visually process this. I do not understand what is happening. And I still like it. I like that it's just different. It feels different. I talked a lot about how in the past, Magic had a lot of ways of presenting art. And I miss some of that. This makes literal no visual sense to me but it looks different and i appreciate taking risks that's what i would say about it yeah i mean it it looks cool the art style is cool it it reminds me of uh you know some of the games on steam or like the weirder stuff on switch like more of the indie stuff that has kind of this feel and i don't think that it's out of place for it to exist in magic but yeah i definitely had to like double take on this from like this is a magic card what I, I just saw the picture when 
Kanye best explained it to me in the chat. He says it's a lady breaking a shield. I did not know that until this moment. I, I literally oh, could yeah. make nothing out of it. I couldn't understand it. Now that he says it, it seems very obvious to me. But I, yeah, I, I, had I no just idea. don't. I don't know what's going on in the background with like all the people watching her. But anyway, battle display, sorcery adventure, R, destroy target artifact, and then the creature side is one R two one creature human knight. So uh, manic vandal, effectively, or just a goblin piker, which is fine. Yeah, probably an effective sideboard card if artifacts matter a bunch for the red version of the night deck, if that is what color it ultimately ends up being. Next card, more knights, just knights for days. Yeah, this one's actually good, though. This one's interesting. Circle of Loyalty. Four dub dub, legendary artifact, mythic. That's how you know it's good, right? right? That's the easy cheat code. This spell costs one less to cast for each knight you control. So, you know, if you're if you're doing a good job, maybe uh, costs three or four mana less, hopefully. Uh, creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Whenever you cast a legendary spell, create a 2-2 white knight creature token with vigilance. So effectively a 3-3 three, three with this thing. And then three dub tap, create a 2-2 two, two white knight creature token with vigilance. So... Go wide with knights. This pumps them up. If you have some legendary stuff on top of it, you get even more. If you need a mana sink, here you go. Is this Knight Soren? I don't know. I think that's what Nick said. I, I don't exactly buy into that because Soren just did a million different busted things. But like, if this gets to just be like dub dub crusade that also makes more knights, it just seems completely ridiculous. Yeah, it can get out of hand really, really quick. Again, like this is attacking and blocking and making creatures and all of that concerns me because the only reason that's even close to viable and standard presently is Soren. I guess some people would try and sell you on elementals and that's fine. There's some merit there and a lot of those cards are sticking around. So maybe, maybe there is some attacking that's going to be going on, but you really want to be paying this at a pretty high discount. I don't think there's a lot of worlds you can play it on turn three. It's hopefully a cheaper turn four play. Uh, and then if you were able to really leverage some cheap legendaries, I think what I'm looking for here, if there's a good one drop legendary creature you can use, uh, maybe that's how this card really goes insane. Yeah, I, I think this is more of like a turn four play and then hopefully you have a two drop, but I feel like they probably aren't printing a lot of cheap legendaries, but we'll see. Apparently, uh, Nick did not say that. I saw it in the Discord somewhere. Okay, we'll have so, to track down bad. track down who's calling this the Knights uh, or and, and get their take on it. it it's good, but it's not quite there. I still think that if you're dedicated knights, you play four of this card and you're just happy, you know? Sure. And if you're dedicated knights, you'll also be playing tournament grounds. Land, tap to add a colorless, and you can also tap it to add red, white, or black. Spend this mana only to cast a knight or equipment spell. So relatively painless as far as good fixing for your two or three color night deck. And then the nod to equipment is kind of interesting too, because it gives you a little bit of a better idea of what the knights are actually about. Yeah, that's what I'm waiting for. I want to see what equipment the knights are getting. Is there knight specific equipment that they're going to be leveraging? Is that what knights are really trying to do? Is that what the tribe is built around? Uh, this is a card that spawns a lot of questions in me. It doesn't really answer all that many questions. It's just going to be a fine mana source for these decks. Next card, Wintermore Commander. What do you know? It's a knight. Uh, it is B-dub, two total mana, creature human knight, two power, star toughness, death touch, 
Uh, this thing's toughness is equal to the number of knights you control. Whenever this attacks another target knight, you gain you control gains indestructible until end of turn. So the very least, the two one death touch uh, gets pretty hard to block, which is kind of nice with death touch, and then just also allows you to send in something else. So I I think this is a constructed card. This seems quite good to me. Yeah, this makes combat a mess uh, to say nothing of what happens if you end up with two copies that are just jamming death touch indestructible on every turn, probably getting pumped by whatever you're doing with knights. So I agree with you. This feels constructed to me as well. Problematic card to answer on the opposing side. Yeah, love it. Finally, we have left the world of knights, getting back to fantasy, and we're doing it by starting with Midnight Clock. To you, artifact... Tap, add you, pay two you, put an hour counter on this. At the beginning of each upkeep, put an hour counter on this. When the 12th hour counter is put on this, shuffle your hand and graveyard into your library, then draw seven cards, exile this. So, mana rock that eventually ticks down to, you know, Wheel of Fortune you or whatever. I don't know what kind of deck actually plays this, but... The slowest treasure map of all time is what this is. I actually thought you might be all over this one. This has your style all over it. Artifact that just is kind of doing nothing for a long time, Whoa. eventually get paid on. Oh, how dare you compare <laughs> this to treasure map? Treasure map is so cheap. You just get to weave it in there and then it provides you with this insane burst, right? This is expensive, kind of does some stuff by adding mana and then eventually does something. Uh, this is this is exactly the kind of card I hate, actually. This is also two mana because you get one mana in That's return. That's not how that works. So cost the, that is cost the same as treasure mana. That is not how that works. <laughs> and then the explosiveness of the twelfth hour counter is even better than treasure map. This is so much better than treasure map. No, I don't actually believe that, but I, I could see the pain on your face as I talked poorly about treasure map. This feels like a. Brawl card, which I guess is now something we have to contemplate. True. When we're talking about this stuff, is that you should be you should be making some cards for a brawl, and uh, this looks like a very good one. Do we have to start the the brawl arena decklist Twitter account? Probably get on that. I'm I'm sure people are going to love that kind of content. Can we find someone else to run that? I feel like there's someone better suited to review all the brawl decks and share them. Yeah, I'm I'm not uh, doing it. The I'm sphere. not doing it. I will look at that account like, you know, once every six weeks or something, but we'll see. Right. Yeah, we'll employ someone to do that. Next card. It's a mythic, so we know it's good. It's Rankle Master of Pranks. 2BB, legendary creature, fairy rogue, 3-3, three, three, flying, haste. Whenever this deals combat damage to a player, choose any number. Each player discards a card. Each player loses one life and draws a card. Each player sacrifices a creature. This card is gas. How are we breaking these symmetries? We have Narset to start with on the draw trigger if we want to do that. So that's an well, option. Well, that, that doesn't really work, right? Because they're probably just drawing a card on your turn. It's probably the first one. Oh, right. The timing's off. Okay. You're right. You're right. So what are we doing then? Tell me what I'm supposed to be doing with Rankle Master of Pranks. I think this is neat. I think you need to work to make this viable. There's not really the critical mass of discard effects I would like to see where I think you could like actually resource restrict your opponent. 
but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's just payoffs in having some disposable creatures around and just persistently forcing your opponent to lose a card on a bunch of turns. Yeah, I mean, four mana for a 3-3 three, three with flying in haste, that, that passes the test for me where most of the time you are going to get some value out of this. Like you're going to deal some damage, you're going to be able, you know, maybe this is the top end in your aggro deck, you get to make them discard a card, or maybe you're kind of behind, so you want to both draw a card, hoping that you can find some sort of like card advantage thing to get you back in it. You can also just like drain them out. You can do the sacrifice thing if you have some sacrificial stuff. So that like there's a lot of options and a lot of different ways that you can actually utilize this card. So like this, this is a really cool build around. It just stinks that I have to give up my first week of arena to casting Yarok's Fenlurker into Davriel into this card and pretending like that's going to be good enough because I have to do it. I have no <laughs> choice. Uh, and I'm sure I will plummet rapidly down the ladder. But persistent discard like that sounds like a lot of fun. You're talking about really restricting your opponent's resources pretty hard. I don't know if there's a one drop you're supposed to be doing in conjunction with that that maybe you can get some rebuys on. But all of these effects together seem pretty good. And it ends the game very quickly. 3-3 Flying Haste isn't going to let your opponent stick around for all that long. So we'll have to see where this ultimately slots. But I, I love the idea of creating resource-restricted magic. And maybe that's the counter to what we're doing right now. Like the Golo stuff where you just feel like you have all the time in the world and the unlimited resources. Maybe if you restrict your opponent on land drops, they have to make hard choices as to which cards they keep. That's how we fight out of that metagame. Yeah, maybe. It's entirely possible. I mean, we're we're short some like Thoughtseize or Inquisition of Kozilek type of stuff. Like Duress is okay, but right. it's not necessarily a card that you can main deck. And uh, I would probably have to go through and look at the black creatures. I, I know I did some cursory checks a while ago, like a couple sets ago, just because there was like Dreadshade and that sort of stuff. And I was kind of building around that stuff. And it was just not there yet. So Yeah, the Fenlurker stuff is actually pretty appealing to me because you end up with a creature you can sacrifice as well. You don't care at that point once you've gotten the discard effect or the exile effect as it is. No, I mean, a, a lot of that stuff seems super weak and there are a lot of ways to just gain inherent value. Like this deck, this sort of deck trying to play against a deck with just like Narset in it, right? You're just, you feel so bad. I mean, at least Rankle can kind of FTK the Narset, which is sweet, but... Right. Yeah, I'm not sure it lines up as bad as you think. I, I understand what you're saying. Like if decks can recoup their resources, you don't want to invest all these crappy cards into trying to strip them of resources. It's a scary position to be in. Um, but there does reach a threshold where you just have enough of it to pressure them regardless of what they're trying to do. We'll see if Rankin can get there. Like I said, I expect to fall down the ladder pretty rapidly. Next card, Tome Raider. Do you get it? Jerry? I don't get it. Uh, two, two you, one, one. Like what What part of uh, Laura Croft is a fairy tale, right? Like it's just not. Yeah, but but that is what we're doing here, right? Like, there's no way this isn't a call out to that. I don't know. Two you one one fairy flying. When this ETBs draw a card, we just had cloud kin spirit or whatever. What a feel bad, you know? Yeah, we downgraded a little bit, but I'm sure we'll be casting this in limited and probably happy about it. So, be gone, Tome Raider. Let's look at Eye Collector. Instead. B one one fairy flying. Whenever this deals combat damage to a player, each player puts the top card of their library into their graveyard. We've done very well with putting cards into graveyard recently. It's proven to be very powerful. We can go back to Citrus Supplier. We can look at Diligent Excavator, but this is probably not it. I'm I'm still trying to molder Hulk people. You know, 
Sure. This, I guess this, we'll play with that. Memorial to Folly uh, and Citrus Supplier are gone. So that's that's probably not going to happen. But Yeah, I think that dream has finally ended. Uh, let's look at another fairy. It's time for Marleaf Pixie. GU22 Creature Fairy Flying Tap. Add G or Blue. Man, Gay as Sky Folk was playable at some point. Yeah, not anymore. Uh, I don't know what you're supposed to be doing with this card. It's weird. Probably not seen any play. There's there's better ramp options for sure. Yeah, you play Leafkin Druid or Paradise Druid over this probably, unless you specifically want the, the fairy call-out. Well, it's time for more fairies. It's Fairy Vandal. One you want to creature fairy rogue, flash flying. Whenever you draw your second card each turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on this. This seems legit. This is... Completely reasonable if Brineborn Cutthroat type stuff can actually see play in standard, I think, uh, as long as there's like some opt type stuff or uh, Tome Raider things, like things a little bit better on rate than that. This is completely fine. Yeah, we are done with Curious Obsession, right? That's a card that's rotating? Yeah. Okay. So things aren't going to be quite that easy, but like you said, I I think there is a world where this card can exist. It's just got to be a very... Well-supported world, mono blue and those type of strategies need a lot of things to go right. The absence of Curious Obsession kind of frightens me right now, but we'll see if we get a replacement. Yeah, chat says Fairy Miscreant, which which makes a lot of sense. Obviously, those play really well together. Sure. Okay, next card, Golden Egg. An actual egg, my goodness. Two mana artifact uh, with the subtype of food. So food is not just tokens. When this enters the battlefield, draw a card. One tap, sacrifice this, add one mana of any color. Two tap, sack this, you gain three life. I missed that subtype at first. That's very interesting. I didn't realize we were going to have castable food as well. Egg has, for a long time, referred to two mana cards that come into play and draw a card. Having a bunch of them in a format usually matters a lot. Yo, in, in my day, eggs were one mana. Okay, that was a very broken day. And now things are a little bit harder. But... This card either does nothing or it ruins your life and is in some completely broken combo deck, probably put together by Matt Nass. So we'll have to see which one of those two things is going on with Golden Egg. Oh, yeah. This will get Flood of Tears for sure. Seems like it. Next card, the Gilded Goose. I tried to get Andrew Brown to confirm this is actually a shout out to the Goose, our favorite dive bar that we often go to after playing some magic at Mox Bellevue. Dude, I was going to give a shout out to the goose. Yeah, this is definitely a hard call out to the goose, but I, I don't think that's exactly what was uh, on their menu when they were creating this card. Mm, it's hard to say. Maybe I took Andrew to the goose that one time, even though he really hated it and hated his time there and everything about it. And that was the inspiration that he needed to create this card. <laughs> he went in the next day and made Gilded Goose. Yeah. So Gilded Goose, G, O2, Creature Bird, Flying, when this enters the battlefield, make a food. 1G tap, make a food. Tap, sack a food. Add one mana of any color. So get to play this on turn one. Automatically make a food. On turn two, you can ramp. And then you're out of food, at least temporarily. Maybe you have some other things that make some foods. Uh, but this, this card seems pretty nice. Yeah, some folks upset about this card. Looking forward to be under the... Out from under the oppression that Llanowar Elves could often cause. Llanowar Elves doesn't feel that good at this particular moment. I'm not seeing a ton of Llanowar Elves, but 
there's no question that for a long portion of its time in the format, it was it was warping. It really changed the way games were played uh, and can create some very uninteractive games. Uh, I would rather have this than Llanowar Elves. It, it doesn't attack, which is probably a plus. There's some actual vulnerability there. You're only making mana once, which I think is good. So if we have to play with one mana mana creatures, this is okay. But uh, I, I would rather not, quite frankly. I think I would also prefer to have none, but at least this one makes you go through a quest and doesn't just fit in like any single deck, basically. So uh, I am completely fine with this card, absolutely. Especially since going forward, it probably won't get that much more support, you know? So it's not like it's just going to get even better over time. If anything, it's likely just going to be worse. Right, right. Very parasitic card. Next card, run away together. One you instant choose two target creatures controlled by different players, return those creatures to their owner's hands. This is this is brawl stuff, right? This is more brawl in standard. Yeah, I, I mean it's it's cool in multiplayer, otherwise you have to bounce your own thing. Maybe bouncing your own thing isn't necessarily a downside. Peel from reality, I think, saw like the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest bit of play. Right. But yeah, this this seems mostly outmoded by today's standards. Agree with you. Next, it's time for Wishful Merfolk. Gerald, were you a Little Mermaid fan growing up? Yeah, obviously. I watched all the Disney movies, man. Yeah, I loved The Little Mermaid. It was there weren't many I had, pretty poor growing up, but the ones Same. I had, I watched a bunch. Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Nightmare Before Christmas are the ones I just remember jamming nonstop. Okay. Um, but I don't want to play this card in Magic ever under any circumstances. No. Uh, well, let me read it real quick. 1U, Creature Merfolk, 3-2, Defender, 1U. Uh, this loses Defender and becomes a human until end of turn. So completely nonsensical card text that is just top-down flavor. So this is just sort of taking up space in the set, I guess. And we'll move on to our next card. It is the Crystal Slipper speaking of Disney stories, of course, a shout out to Cinderella here, but maybe a decent card. One R, Crystal Slipper, artifact equipment, equipped creature gets plus one plus zone, has haste, equipped for one. This is actually a, a fairly reasonable card, right? Absolutely. And someone pointed out it's busted in Brawl. Yeah, probably. It seems like it would be. I believe that. But just as a card, there's a lot of times when I've brewed decks. And I'm just like, oh, if I just had some way to give my creature haste. If this is a very clean, very cheap way to give your creatures haste, basically every creature you play for the rest of the game has a one mana add-on where you can just give it haste. That's pretty appealing. And the plus one oh is nothing to sneeze at either for a very low cost. Equipment has been leaving magic recently. And I think we kind of forgot just how good it can be because the equipment has been so poor. This feels like a good piece of equipment to me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you can compare it to stuff like Rhythm of the Wild, which saw some play initially, but ultimately didn't really do anything. And there are a lot of kind of wombo combos with Rhythm and Illarg the Raise Boar and stuff like that. So I think this is kind of similar because you're paying three mana total basically to get the first haste. But I think this just being very easy to slip into play in the beginning. Like rhythm basically takes up your entire turn and this, you might be able to play along with a removal spell or some other cheap creature or whatever. And then, you know, you just have to pay one 
uh, later on. I think that's easier to manage than basically skipping one of your earlier turns. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Plus, your creatures get to feel fancy. It's always nice. Nice that they can dress up from time to time. Next card, Witch's Cottage. This is going to be a fun cycle. If it is a cycle, I'm assuming. I assume it's a cycle, too. So this is a swamp. Uh, so it has tap, add B. Witch's Cottage enters the battlefield tapped unless you control three or more other swamps. When this enters the battlefield untapped, you may put target creature card from your graveyard on top of your library. So this is another weird sort of adamant, right? Yeah, really incentivizing you to have a hard commitment to a certain color. Obviously, you can cheat a little bit with the Shocklands. They also will count as swamps, but uh, this is fetchable in eternal formats. May matter at some point uh, as we see the rest of the cycle. There, someone pointed out Yarrick is a card that likes to see Witch's Cottage in some situations. That makes sense to me. All of these cards are going to have a lot of potential because when you put a powerful effect on a land, things get out of control very quickly. And this is a powerful effect. Getting back your best creature is a very good deal uh, for no cost whatsoever as you move into the late game. We'll have to eh. s- we'll have to see if this is like a staple. My guess is it's going to show up in very narrow situations as a one of, maybe in spots like it really depends what the rest of the cycle does. This effect in general isn't the hugest boon, but as you move into other colors, I'm curious to see what they come up with. Yeah, I mean, put target creature from your graveyard on top of your library is not great. I'm not super excited about that. It would have to be something that I really care about getting back. And, you know, you mentioned Yurik, and I think that there's some Cavalier of Thorns type of stuff that you could be doing. This could maybe be the Memorial to Folly Molder Hulk thing, even go. though it's it's just so much worse, but... It's possible. It's possible. Hydroid Crisis being mentioned as a card that you're happy to rebuy in a lot of spots. You know, as, as long as cards keep having these big, splashy effects, I think you have to pay respect to this effect. Sure. Okay. Next card. We are moving on to the Witching Well. You, Artifact. When this ETBs scry two, three you, sacrifice this, draw two cards. So, like, Inspiration... Uh, with a little bit of an upfront cost. I don't know. I, I'm not really feeling this. I think people might like this card, especially if there's like things to do with artifacts or cheap permanents on the battlefield or whatever, but I'm not a big fan. Yeah, I think you have to get some payoff for having that artifact sit on the battlefield. If you can find that, I think this card is quite good. I mean, the rate's fine. It's acceptable. It smooths out your early draws. All that works for me. Uh, I don't think you just play it on its face. I don't think it's just a card that you're happy to slot into your control deck. Uh, I wouldn't be playing it in Esper Control. But as soon as you put some amount of focus on artifacts, this card seems like it's very good to me. Yeah, just compare this to basically any Planeswalker ever, you know? Look, you can say that about a lot of cards, and they get invalidated pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just saying, though, like, you know, inspiration is not even that good and i'm certainly not looking to pay an additional tax on top of that and granted we're about to rotate and everything but like chemistry's insight has just gotten worse and worse and worse and super slow this is a very huge cost yeah well look i railed against inspirations for a long time i was convinced that we had all tricked ourselves into playing these four mana draw spells and i was always trying to work them out of my decks it, going back even a few sets now is a priority of mine to figure out a way not to have to play those cards so 
I'm like I said, not playing this just at face value, but you give me some artifact synergies. I think you can find a place for it. Sure. No, I'm right there with you on the inspirations not being very good. All right. Let's move to our next card. It is, in fact, Beast of Beauty and the Beast. It's Love Struck Beast. The adventure side is Heart's Desire G Sorcery. Create a 1 1 white human creature token. And the creature side is 2G for a 5 5 Beast Noble. This can't attack unless you control one-one creature. This card is nice. Good thing that Lanawar Elves bit it before Lovestruck Beast showed up, because I could see that combo coming around quite a bit. Although Steel Leaf Champion only seen medium amounts of play at this point, but still, this there's a nice little upside here with Heart's Desire. This is just big. This is a big body, and if you have enough one ones in your deck, uh, as those decks often did, I think this will just be completely fine. Yeah. So all, this thing can also still block. I'm sure that there are going to be a lot of ways for you to just make uh, one-one creatures uh, with a lot of different things. So if you have something better to do on turn one, you don't even need to Heart's Desire. But uh, this just gives you a way to use your mana every single turn, which is pretty sick. And obviously anything like green-white tokens is going to care about uh, an extra body being there. So Mm -hmm. this card is very good. Yeah, I I think we have to watch on these cards too. We're not used to this adventure setup. Getting two uses out of your card is a very, very big deal. It's basically built-in card advantage, and I don't think we're really equipped to be able to process that as it stands right now. Speaking of, Flaxen Intruder, the next card we're going to talk about. Welcome Home is the adventure side. Sorcery, 5GG, create three 2-2 green bear creature tokens. And the creature side is G for a 1-2 human berserker. Whenever this deals combat damage to a player, you may sacrifice it. When you do, destroy target artifact or enchantment. This card seems medium. Agree. All parts of it seem (laughs) exceedingly medium. Uh, Maybe there's some specific world you want to be doing this in. But this is a very creepy, creepy piece of artwork as this little girl mangles these bears. I get it. They were in... Her grandmother's home. Is that the way that story works? No, that's Little Red Riding Hood. I don't get anything. I don't understand fairy tales. I'm done with this card. We're talking about the next one. Yeah. I was hoping that this card would be playable just because they showed it off with the art and uh, the way the box was set up and everything. Yeah. And it was like, oh, okay. You know, like this this card definitely looks cool. I think the the art is very good and everything. It would, it would make sense for them to actually try and push this. But instead, we just have this nonsense. Seems like a miss. This card, not quite as sure about. Oko, Thief of Crowns, the Planeswalker. Next card we want to discuss. 1GU, Legendary Planeswalker Oko. Four starting loyalty, plus two create a food. Plus one, target artifact or creature loses all abilities and becomes a green elk creature with base power and toughness 3-3. Minus five, exchange control of target artifact or creature you control and target creature and opponent controls with power three or less feels like this card is going to be annoying to play against. It just feels very annoying. It snowballs things very hard off of its minus five. The plus one stuff, I know Liam over in our Discord was talking about using it in combination uh, with Dreadhorde Invasion, 4-4 four, four on every single turn. Seems okay to me. I mean, that's that's kind of a lot of setup, but it, it could work. That's, that's on power level where I'm willing to accept it as something fair to be doing. And plus... We're looking at two pluses again, which is a nice setup for a Planeswalker to have. Plus two, plus one, minus five are the breakdowns on Oko, Thief of Crowns. I want to know a little bit more about food payoffs. 
how hard can we the leverage goose. that aspect of it? There is the goose, of course, and we can play this on turn two with the goose, and then the goose can later use those foods. Um, maybe give your opponent the goose after it's not doing anything all that useful. Who knows? But Oko seems decent to me, if a little narrow and a little bit of a specific build around. It's got to have the right interactions, or I don't think this gets there on its face. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing you can do is just turn your food into a 3-3, right? So you have like this 3-3 on suspend type of thing. Mm-hmm. So Oko is basically never going to be dead. And I think you see that a lot with three mana planeswalkers where either the minus is the part that you want and then it just sits there for a couple turns without actually doing anything. But this thing is like ticking up in decent chunks while also accomplishing things and adding to the board. And, you know, the minus is very real. The plus can potentially shrink bigger things like you get to pongify things, right? Yeah, I think also the life gain aspect of this card is probably worth noting as well. In like a hard mono red meta, being able to just grind out food, you immediately go up to six loyalty. So that's like yeah. plus six life right there. And you have another three sitting on the battlefield. Uh, that sounds pretty nice to me. And again, these all feel like very specific interactions. Um, your point that you're at least every other turn getting a three, three is valid. That That's totally fine. Maybe acceptable for a three mana planeswalker. I don't know. Our scale for three mana planeswalkers is so off at this point, given Teferi and Narset. They're just so, so good that... Everything else has lost a bit of its luster. But if we go back, you know, before War of the Spark and I see this card, I'm probably very excited about it, quite frankly. Just on the fact that it's a three mana planeswalker that can do something. There are many that just didn't do anything immediately. Oko certainly does. So some play is my prediction. I don't know that it's like the slam dunk card of the set, but it seems meaningful. I think this card is very good. I think it'll end up being on my top 10. And one of the things that sort of drives me to that is the fact that Gilded Goose is likely going to be the only one mana accelerant and Oko just feeds it. So whenever you actually need mana, you know, you just have basically a souped up Birds of Paradise or whatever. But I I do think that Oko is impactful and obviously has some of the problems where it's like, oh, this Planeswalker doesn't protect itself, but it's doing a lot of things. It can sort of protect itself by making things into three threes or shrinking their things down to three threes. And it just has a lot of loyalty. Like, I I do think it's going to be good. High loyalty is a very good form of protection, for sure. One final card for us to talk about today. I want to give thanks to the good folks at Scryfall. That's where I grabbed all these images from. My favorite Magic the Gathering search engine. I always use Scryfall. But this is Tulane, Teller of Tales. And in theory, this is not a card actually in the set proper. This is a Brawl-specific card. But I I thought it was worth mentioning. I thought it's reasonable enough that we should talk a little bit about the Brawl-specific cards. All right. Two, GW, two, four, Legendary Creature Human Druid, Vigilance. Whenever you cast a creature spell, draw a card, then you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. Three, tap, return target creature you control to its owner's hand. That's all you got. That's all you got, huh? Go nuts. No, I mean, I I played with this card today in Brawl. It snowballs very quickly. There are worlds where this is good enough, I think, to play in standard. It generates so much value. Getting the cast trigger as opposed to what comes into play trigger is very nice. Your mana gets out of control very quickly. And sometimes you just need a turn with Tulane in play and the game is completely over. I think it's a stretch. I'm not saying this is like a slam dunk card, but I'm basically bringing this up to point out some of these cards are close. There's in particular, I I think it's a brawl only card, 
one colorless, one blue artifact creature, when it comes into play, untap something. It completes a lot of the Prime Speaker Vanifar chains uh, and lets you just go up that chain a little bit quicker. So it does seem like these cards have the potential to touch standard. I think we should be aware of them. And that's really all I wanted to say about Chulain. Word. Uh, so there are now a lot of cards up on Mythic Spoiler, including what is the last Planeswalker, I think, if you want to talk about that one real quick, even though we can't put it on the screen. And so this one might not be officially spoiled yet. Is that possible? Uh, I don't know. There's just like this you know, weird cutout on Mythic Spoiler. Yeah, I, I think this may be a leak. All right. Uh, so do we want to do any of this other stuff or no? No, let's stop there. I, I think okay. we covered the officially spoiled stuff. I think that's all fine. We'll be back next week. If people want another preview show, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Last spoiler season, I know we kind of went on and off and checked in at the end, but I think we'll have nearly the full set when we talk next week. Is that accurate? Like by next week within one week's time? That seems very quick. Well, aren't spoiler season super short now? I don't know, man. I have no idea. Okay. We'll, we'll see what we have next week. Y'all let us know if you want more preview shows. We are happy to do them. Obviously, we love talking about new cards. It does feel a little weird to just check out from Constructed Magic for a while, given that's where our focus usually lies on metagames and things like that. We could always come back with a modern episode next week. We'll see. We'll listen to the people, see what they want. Yeah, folks are saying it's in two weeks, and I think that we got a lot of really positive feedback as far as not really doing uh, a bunch of preview shows, just wait until the set is basically spoiled or entirely spoiled and then just doing like the top 10 episode. And I think we should just do that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, That certainly works for me. I'm down with that. Well, that means we're approaching question time now as we head towards the end of our cast. Before we do that, a couple little businessy things I want to talk about. Maybe we start by talking about what we've been working on over the past few days and a giveaway we're going to be doing. Jerry, why don't you go ahead and describe what we're doing in that area? Yeah. So uh, a member of our discord, I believe, right, Brian? Correct. Reached out to Brian and was like, yo, I make these sweet deck boxes on Etsy. Do y'all want one? I can make one that is really cool with the logo etched into it. And we have that here. Very, very nice. As you can see, there is only one of these in existence currently. And uh, they gave it to us kind of like as a test run, and then we could maybe order more somewhere down the line in the future. But we had to figure out some way to actually give this one away. And I think what we decided on was to kind of try and help promote the YouTube channel that we are starting. So we're going to be posting all the live podcasts, all the edited versions of the podcast, any sort of other video content we create on the YouTube channel. We currently have like 200 subs or something. And once we hit a thousand, that's kind of like a benchmark for them. We will give away the deck box to one of the first 1000 subs to the YouTube channel. Yep. So that means you need to hurry on over there, get subbed to YouTube. Like Jerry said, right now, it's basically a repository for these casts. We are putting our old archives on there is something we're looking to do. Uh, And we want to do more content in the future of all kinds of YouTube content, all kinds of live play type stuff. And real quick, let me just give a shout out to the Etsy store of Mina. It's etsy.com slash shop slash triple M hobbies. And you can check out the other stuff that Mina is working on over there. 
But in regards to the YouTube stuff, we want to do more stuff there. We want to keep working on all aspects of magic content. And so we decided this week we were going to take a brief second to talk about our Patreon page. We try and do our podcast basically as ad-free as possible. If you have not noticed, we, we don't shill all that hard and you almost never hear an ad grace our cast. And that is because of all y'all. You all step up, you help us create this content that we enjoy making so much. Our Patreon support is literally best in class. It's unbelievable how much you guys step up and support us. We wanted to say thank you. And we wanted to say, if you aren't supporting us, think about it. Why not throw a dollar our way per episode? And that helps us make all this great content you love so much. I will say, Gerald, while our community feels huge, only one in 20 Arena Deckless listeners is actually a patron. And that kind of surprised me. I felt like it just feels like everyone is on board with supporting us because we have so much tremendous support, but only one in 20. So if you're in that 19 out of 20, not supporting us on Patreon, check out what we do over there. We do have some nice benefits for our people. Jerry, you want to tell them about what we do for our patrons? We we try to be timely with, with everything, uh, but I am failing on that somewhat recently. But for, for the most part, the stuff is good. The Discord channel is, I think, the thing that people get the most actual value out of because it is this very active community. And if you're listening to you know this sort of competitive-focused podcast, obviously that is the sort of thing that you want to be involved in and everything. And I think a lot of people just did it to support us, and then they ended up finding out that the Discord was awesome. So that that was very cool how this all just kind of happened organically, but... Yeah, I have uh, some deck boxes left from the old branding, and I think those will be all gone with this Patreon shipment. And then we recently started doing uh, Arena Deckless t-shirts at the $7 tier. I don't know if y'all can see this or not. Uh, if you want the, the full list, the full breakdown of the, the stuff that our patrons get as rewards, just jump over to the Patreon page. And if you have any suggestions for us, things that you would want to see, definitely let us know because we are fairly open to the idea of doing anything. It all just depends on what people actually want. Yeah. As far as content, we've talked about maybe attending, this is on my side, attending some events to do some coverage on the ground, make some video content at a PT possibly, just more streaming. You see, we're trying to be here more often as Jerry and I often express, we have uh complicated relationships with streaming. I think it comes and goes our fire for it, but we are trying to be around a lot more. And this is a good way to do it though, man. When it's, when it's both of us, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think it's just, it's really hard for me to just like sit in a room by myself. Like I know that I'm not alone really, but I like kind of am. And it's, yeah, it's just weird. No, I'm right there with you. And also the long play sessions. I'm not the type of person who sits down and plays arena for eight hours. Like if I'm, if I'm not here, I don't want you to think I'm in the background playing arena for eight hours by myself. I play a game. I go do something else. I go for a run. I'll check in for another two games. It's not something where I sit there all day. Right. So that doesn't really fit with the typical streaming approach. And it's it's been hard to sort that out, but I do think streams have become more frequent and people have been showing up. So props to you if you've been coming out to those streams. Yeah. And, and one thing I do want to know too is like, obviously the only way to support us isn't just through Patreon, like just subscribe on YouTube, retweet our stuff, tell your friends, whatever, like any sort of word of mouth thing that helps the podcast and the content we make grow is definitely a thumbs up in our book. We definitely appreciate every single bit of it because 
you know, we're, we're on the platforms that we're on, right? But past that, we haven't really tried to expand our reach all that much. And that's kind of what YouTube is doing. But also, you know, like you, you all definitely have, you know, friends and people who have never heard of us, don't have Twitter, don't follow us, you know, think I'm an asshole, whatever. If you are enjoying the stuff that we put out, definitely let other people know. And we appreciate that just as much as any amount of dollar bills. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. That's a hundred percent true. I, if you can't swing it, I promise you, I get it. I promise that is a hundred percent. Okay. I bear no ill will towards you whatsoever. Uh, just let someone know you enjoy our podcast. That's worth just as much to us. Well said, Jerry. Yeah. Uh, anything else? No, I think that's it. I think that's all we needed to talk about. How about we take some questions from our folks here in the chat and we'll, uh, we'll wrap up the show that way. Who's got questions for us here in Twitch chat? Are we not going to do questions from the Discord anymore? Well, I didn't ask for them, so that's why we're not doing them presently Word. from the Discord. Tell you what, you manage these questions that are showing up in chat right now. You can answer some. I will go to the Discord and see if anyone posted any when I made my announcement for the cast. There's a chance there's some just floating around. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, I'm just saying, I have these pins to give away, you know? It's not like I'm going to mail them. I plan on mailing them, but... You know, it, it would be the more motivation I have for the more backlog I have of pins that I need to get mailed out, I think the better. DT Lurch is asking over in the Discord, what cards are you most ready to rotate out of standard? What All are you just of sick of? All of them. I don't care. Just, I mean, Ixalan was not that strong. Dominaria has Teferi, obviously. So that can, that can go as soon as possible. And then Corset 19 is what? Escape Shift. I don't even play Scape Shift. Oh, yeah. Nexus. Good one, Nick. Nexus is a good one. Kind of not actually in Corset 19, but that's besides the point. Uh, for me, it's small Teferi and it's not going anywhere. I just think it's such, it's so limiting on the format. All this huge stuff, all this snowball-y stuff would just be kept in check by simple counter magic. It would be more than enough. Nobody's invested in seven, eight mana in an effect if it can just be turned off for two mana. Uh, but you can't play counter magic because of Teferi. And I think it creates a really, really bad snowball throughout the rest of the format. But it's here for another year. So get used to it. Yeah, it's a very dumb. Uh, people were pointing out Lenwar Elf, Chain Whirler. Yeah, those are all good ones. Get out of here. Right. But all those cards, they've like been up and down and up and down. And something like Teferi has just felt like a vice grip on the format. And I don't think it's loosening anytime soon. Dr. Frantic asks, are food worse than clues? Yes. Yes. Does food have the potential to be impactful? Yes. Yes. Uh, especially since there are cards like Oko and the Goose that key off of food tokens, right? Like they are doing way more than just drawing cards. And that that has a lot of value for sure. Andrew W. wants to know over in Discord if we're more excited to return to Theros or Zendikar. Obviously, the next year of Magic Sets got announced today. One new plane, two old ones in Theros or Zendikar. Which one do you have fonder memories of? Neither. <laughs> Just hate them both? Nothing interesting there? Not for me. I like Theros. Uh, I like the whole mythology-driven approach to things. We'll have to see if it delivers on that feel again. I guess I like having reasons to put lands onto the battlefield uh, in like cool rampy ways, not like ramp to Emrakul ways or like ramp to primeval Titan ways, but just like, you know, Oracle of Moldiah accumulate value, do stupid stuff. 
Uh, and Zendikar has the highest likelihood of that sort of stuff happening, but Field of the Dead and Golos are both legal, so it kind of like invalidates all the sweet stuff that I would want to do anyway. Yeah, there's some good cards that aren't going anywhere, so we'll have to figure out if we can find a way to tamp those cards down and diminish their effect on the format. Master Marshmallow, do you think Fetch Lions will be back in Zendikar? I don't think we would bother going back there if it wasn't for Fetch Lions. Like they will, they'll take the sales that Fetch Lions create with open arms and be very happy about it. So Scalding Tarns are a hundred dollars, right? Correct. Around there. Yep. And Zendikar will be legal with the Shocklands. I think that's wrong. I think it will not be because it's after the next core set. So there should be another rotation at core set, right? Okay, so if, if they're going to be legal, if Zendikar was going to be legal with Shocklands, I would say probably a hard no, because I think they sort of learned their lesson from the like the Prairie Stream stuff and the Fetches. But yeah, if, if the Shocklands are gone, then I think Fetchlands are completely fine. People pointing out the Fetches will be in Historic, and Ew. normally, yeah, well, okay, look, I, I agree in the abstract, but I also think with the way Historic is being set up, it's never, ever leaving Arena. So the main problem I have with the fetches is the shuffling. Like, that's really the drawback. The mana bases they create are whatever. I mean, I, I think there's more interesting ways to do it, but like we've accepted them at this point. If you're taking out all the manual shuffling, I think it's a little bit less painful. DT Lurch is pointing out that they did tease Brainstorm in Historic. So if you're going to do Brainstorm, you really can't do fetches on top of that. Or they can, and they just make it like bad, modern, bad legacy. I I don't know. I I would like to think they have a more coherent plan than that. The, The Brainstorm thing seems to me designed to drum up as much excitement as possible and to have very little care about the actual format. But... Maybe that's me being pessimistic and there actually is testing going on and we'll end up with something good. But uh, the way it's been announced thus far, I'm a little afraid. Kanye says I'd kind of be in for historic as complete hellhole. That makes one of us. (laughs) I would appreciate a reasonable format to play. Please, please. A reasonable format. Yeah. Just give me something where I can play Jace Rin's prodigy and I try and stop people from like goblin guiding me or whatever, you know, not asking for much. All sounds good. Anything else before we wrap up? Any other questions you want to get to? Yeah, we got some more questions, but they're all just asking random hypotheticals for the sake of asking questions. Can't answer random hypotheticals. Not enough brain space for that. Someone's asking the name of the YouTube channel. YouTube.com slash Arena Decklist. Check that out. Do some subscribing. Wrap this one up, Gerald. Uh, First of all, what would you play for Modern this weekend? Urza. Prove to me it's not the best deck because it won the Open and came within a game of winning the Magic Online PTQ. There are still multiple builds. The Magic Online builds had Stoneforge Mystic. Uh, Harlan's deck that won the Open was playing Goblin Engineer. I think both are defensible into different metagames. And I think it's just the best possible thing to be doing. And show me otherwise. Like I, I don't want to spend all this time justifying not playing this deck again when it's ultimately going to prove to just be broken. It yeah. feels like the KCI thing where like we all putts around for six months pretending it's not the best thing to be doing. No, this is the best thing to be doing. And people were hard targeting artifacts and it still found success. The key seemingly 
just having good answers to Collector Oof, Fatal Push, Assassin's Trophy, both very clean. That's the way forward. And you have to show me otherwise before I'm doing something besides playing Urza. Cool. Uh, I'm I'm also in for Urza. I'm writing about Band Company this week, but or Band Stoneforge, no companies. Okay. Because I think it can be tuned to be everything. But yeah, uh, down for Urza, 100%. Cool. All right, man. That is game. Good luck.